April 1st was a day in my life that uh, I like to reminisce on a bit. How many of you are reminiscers? You like a good memory. You like to, you get a good, there's a few of you here. I, about half of, the, half of you raise your hand. You, you appreciate a good memory, a good reminiscence. I like to reminisce about April 1st. I am a, a memory guy. I like a good memory, or uh, <laughs> I like to get rid of bad memories. But it's nice to reminisce. I enjoy that. And April 1st, for me and for my family, was a big day. Not only is my grandson born on April 1st, no fooling. Come on, that joke never gets old, right? <laughs> it's going to work for a long time. But it's also a day that my family left Anchorage, Alaska to move to Milwaukee, Wisconsin to start what is now this church. That's a big change for a teenage boy. And I think about that. We got in the airplane, and I remember at the airport, I said goodbye to my, uh, my good friend at the time, Robbie. And him and his mom came there, and a couple other folks came to send, send us off. And it was a big change. We moved to Milwaukee, and it was in the early 80s. The recession was very high. Interest rates and homes were very, very high. And it was just a, a time not guaranteed to find jobs and, and go through all of these changes. And it was a big deal. I also remember this is kind of a neat thing that helped, helped I guess, emblaze this in my memory. On April 1st, there was Northwest Orient. We flew from Northwest from Anchorage to Seattle and Seattle to Minneapolis. So on the flight from Seattle to Minneapolis, everybody on that flight as part of a Northwest Orient airline gimmick was given a $400 voucher per person to fly anywhere that Northwest flew. So after we moved to Milwaukee, we were able as a family then to take a much-needed vacation to Hawaii. Sounds terrible, doesn't it? All that long journey to Milwaukee, and you get to go to Hawaii out of it. So I do appreciate a good memory. In the scriptures, they talk lots and lots and lots about remembering. In fact, a lot of Jewish scholars specifically feel that in the first five books of the Bible, some call it the Torah or some the Pentateuch, the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, that remembering is the most common theme in those books. Remember this, remember that. Don't forget this, build a memorial to that. That remembering is very, very important. And I'd like to take, if it's important to the Lord, I think we should take a couple minutes to look at it. So I'm going to look, let's look at a couple verses here of remembering. A few things the Bible says you should remember. Now this is a, a sliver of what is over 200, almost 300 things the Bible calls off us to remember. So this is just a few of them. How God provided manna. This memory was such a big deal that the Lord said, told Moses to collect manna, put it in a jar, and put it inside the Ark of the Covenant so people would always remember how God fed them with manna. I mean, think about it. Manna never existed. Every day that manna appeared in the ground was a miracle. It was a physical, tangible miracle. There was nothing to compare to manna. It was unique, a God miracle. He wanted them to remember that. Remember how the Jordan River was parted. We all remember the Red Sea, but the Jordan River, of course, has been parted not once but twice. And the Lord wanted, he actually, in, this, in Joshua, wanted a memorial built to this so people would remember. We are to remember what he, what God has done, his miracles, I like those. But he also wants us to remember his judgments. I don't necessarily like his judgments. I like his miracles. Those are neato. Judgments, tough, but he says remember them. He wants us to remember when we were first saved. If we were first saved. He wants us to remember the first love we had for the Lord. This is very important. Remember that first love, he says. 
Remember that God observes us with other believers. Do you remember being a, a, a small boy or a small girl? And there would be no, you'd be playing with your friends or some kids in the area, whatever it was, maybe at school, maybe in your neighborhood. And you would, kids would say things or do things to each other until the adults showed up. Do you remember that? That was just the nature of children, I guess. Well, God wants us to remember that he is watching us with our believers. How we conduct ourselves with each other. He wants us to remember his deeds of old. I like this one. I like remembering his deeds of old. I'm an Old Testament guy. I like to read about things from Samuel and Chronicles and Kings. Those are my personal favorite areas. I like when God really throttles the bad guy. You know, heaven help the bad guy because here comes God. And then, you know, you turn the page. What does God do next? Oh, yeah, God, get him. Makes the earth open. You know, I love that stuff. He wants us to remember those deeds, but he also wants us to remember, Jim, you remember the good deeds too that he did provide. He does these things, these miracles. He wants us to remember when Gentiles were brought into the covenant because originally God had made a covenant just with Jews. And then that changed later on. Jews and Gentiles worship together. And one passage, and I'm going to, we'll read this passage in a minute, but this passage to me captures a number of these things that God does that we should remember. All right, Dylan, let's see this. Psalm 103, verses 2 through 5, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And forget not all of his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life. From the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like eagles. The older I get, the more I appreciate this last one. So your youth is renewed like eagles. I don't think it just means a physical being, right? I think there's, uh, there's a, an energy that we get old, we just do, we get older. But there's a, a youthful aspect, a mentality renewal that can go on. I have to tell you, I've started working out lately. As a 48-year-old man, you know, it's a, I'm not in the habit of working out. And uh, I've learned a couple things about working out. First, I have more of a question than an actual learning. Why, when you're working out, do you have to wait for that perfect spot next to the door? If you're going to work out, wouldn't you want to park far away from the door? and then just walk there and start your workout from when you got your car into the parking lot? I don't understand why people, and I've seen this, people will circle the parking lot, and they're waiting for that perfect spot next to the door. And Well, that's really funny to me. Why is that? And the second thing I'm curious about working out is, how exa- what actually constitutes a workout? I was, at, I, was, I was pumping iron a couple days ago, and there was a, a grandmother and her daughter and the daughter's son. So three generations of family all working out together. And they had their waters and their towels, and they were going from machine to machine or weights to weights to work out. And the, uh, I, <laughs> the grandson would, was the one to work out. And the mother and the grandmother just walked with him. And he would work out, and he would go to another one, and he would work out, and he'd go to another, he'd work, work out. And then you see, you know, after a while, you know, whew, the grandmother and mother were very hot. It gets hot in there. They had their towels and water. I thought, well, so what constitutes a workout? Maybe I've been working out for years watching other people work out, and I just never knew it. (laughs) 
I've got to say, this is a bit of an aside. Don't you thank the Lord for a sense of humor? We can walk through life stoic without ever cracking a smile. But it's so much more interesting when we laugh. And God gives us that. He wires us like this. It's okay to laugh. So, I would be remiss if we didn't remember something the Lord tells us to remember at this time of year, and it's Passover. So let's remember this. Let's look at the passage here. Back up one. Thank you very much. We'll look at that next one in just a minute. Exodus 12, verse 14. This day shall be for you a memorial day. Now I want to stop here, and I want to think just for a minute. When the Lord says this to the Israelites, it's as he's going to release them from Egypt. And he predicts what's going to happen. He's speaking in advance. I am going to do some amazing things, and it's going to be spectacular. And then this day in the Passover will be the memorial. This day, you're going to remember this. And God does it. We know later on that the, the Exodus does happen, that miracles do happen at the Exodus. In the time of the Lord's Passover, lots of big miracles happen, but the Lord predicted it first. His testimony is always true. If he says he's going to do something, he does it. All through the Bible, it's like this. He says he's going to do something, he does it. He says he's going to send Jesus, he does. All through the Bible, he says he's going to do it, he does it. He has never not followed through on anything. If he would, his testimony would be bad. But he says it. God cannot lie. He always does what he says he's going to do. Here he says he's going to do an amazing thing, and he does it. He delivers. And then he tells them that afterward, this day afterward, could you imagine saying, we're going to have a war. And after we win the war, then this day will be our our memorial. Nobody has a memorial plan before the war. Only God can do that. This day shall be for you a memorial day. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, a statute forever and ever and ever and ever. You shall keep it as a feast. And he's speaking about Passover. As a boy, I grew up in a home where there was one Jewish parent and one Gentile parent. So I was one of those lucky kids. I would get a little bit of Hanukkah action and a little bit of Christmas action. It was pretty good. A little bit of Easter action, a little bit of Passover action. So I had a good time as a kid. I lived in both worlds. And I remember I was about 15 or 16, and my grandparents were having Passover, and they wanted the whole family over. So my siblings at the time were younger, and they were little toddlers, and uh, at that age of running around, a lot of energy. And and my aunt and uncle were there, and they had children that were toddlers. And my great-grandmother was there, and she was older, and she needed to eat. So Passover, if you don't know this as a meal, can take some time. You go through a specific order, and it takes some time. And my grandmother, they gave her food when we started off our meal because she needed to eat. Between the volume of the children and their bounciness, and then my great-grandmother talking while she was eating and just having a conversation, it was chaos. The whole table was chaos. And I remember my grandpa had stood up and he was trying to walk us through the steps of Passover, but with all of the action, he just finally went, Irene, get the food. (laughs) But Passover is something that's been celebrated as a memorial unto the Lord because the Lord requested it and because it's an amazing feat. It's been celebrated for 3,500 years, and I don't see any reason to stop it now. 
Have you ever had a memory within a memory? Let me give you an example of this. Imagine, if you will, if there was a birthday. Let's say it's Lynn Marie Fantry's birthday, and she was getting older. We would remember that birthday, right? We would remember that birthday. And remember, what, what if I said, remember that birthday? And remember also, see, we're dr- drilling down a little bit, that there were so many candles she couldn't blow them out? That was something. Now, that's hypothetical. Lynn Marie's not that age yet. But we could have a memory within a memory, and Passover is full of many memories within the memory. Many things to remember within the memories. For example, we could stop and we could talk about how the Israelites left. What a massive nation it was to leave. And what that must have been like. We could talk about just the the blood on the doorposts and the significance of the blood. There's a lot of significance. You know, when Jesus' blood was shed, that wasn't anything new. The, The concept of blood was already thousands of years old. We could talk about that. We could talk about when the Israelites left, how they took the the riches, the gold and silver from the Egyptians, the Bible says. So when they left, we could talk about what was left in Egypt. It was nothing left of a country. Ultimately, they lost their army. They had lost their riches to the Israelites. They had lost their firstborn. They lost their livestock. They lost, essentially, their economy. There was nothing left, and the Israelites did nothing to fight them. It was all God. He obliterated them. We could talk about that. But instead, we'll make it very small for us. We're going to look at a Jewish tradition that's done in Passover. Nobody knows where it came from. But it's over 2,000 years old. During the Seder, the dinner itself, Seder means order, by the way. You go through a specific order. If you've never been to a Passover, again, you go through a specific order. You do things at specific times. That's another memory of mine. I was about six years old. I remember sitting at a Passover with distant family, and we were in Alabama. And I was sitting at the table, and there was a bowl of broth on the, the plate in front of me, and I wanted to eat so bad. It was like teasing a kid. I just wanted to eat, but you know, that you say blessings at certain times, and you do certain things at certain times, and it makes for one long meal. Well, one of the things you do is you acknowledge four cups of wine or juice. At different times. You have two before the meal, two after the meal. So it, it's a very specific process. You say blessings when they go on, and you do this. This is what you do. So I want to look at those four cups of wine because they have lots of significance, not for just the Exodus, but for us today. I mean a lot of significance. I think it's good to remember what the Lord did, but I think it's also important to know it matters for us now. By the way, I have to tell you something funny. I think this is very funny. I didn't. I didn't for a while. This message is on remembering. I lost my notes. (laughs) I got to tell you, that is like a memory stress test. What? It takes me a long time to put together a message, and and I didn't. I was doing it. I was working on it, fine-tuning it out of my couch, and I had my dog laying next to me, and I went to bed that night, and I woke up in the morning, and my notes were gone. And, and I, don't, you know, I don't want to tell you my dog ate my homework, but that's the only thing I know. There was one sheet of five pages left, and I 
okay, God, all right, this is, this is hilarious. Hilarious. <laughs> so there's four cups. They come from a specific passage. Let's read about it. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out. This is a first cup. When the cup is drink, uh, partaken at the meal, I will bring you out, remember, from under the burden of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you, second cup, from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. That's the third cup, and with great acts of judgment. And I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And that's the fourth cup. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. Again, this is great news for them 3,500 years ago. But here we are in 2016. I want to look at the relevancy. So the first cup... I'm going to pause for a minute. Before I get to that first cup. Do you know what remembering does for us? We pause and remember what the Lord does. Remember how His mighty hand moves. It builds our faith. And you know another word we can use for faith? And some of you remember this. We talked in this just a while ago. Certainty. It builds our certainty. If you've ever had a time in your life where you just don't know, what are you doing, God? God, are you out there? Remember what he's already done as a reminder that he keeps his testimony true. And if you don't know much about the Lord, remember the Bible. Things aren't in there by accident. There are things that he says and things that he does to show his testimony, to show that we can be certain in him. I love that these guys went through this 1,500 years ago because now I can build my certainty by their experiences. First cup, I will bring you out. And this is also known as the cup of sanctification. Sanctification, to be set apart, to be dedicated, consecrated to the Lord, to be sacred, holy. I have called you out. You know, the the Israelites were part of Egypt, and they were called out of Egypt to the Lord. Called out to his plan. Called out to him. He was setting them apart. He was setting them apart. We are called out. You know, we give our lives to the Lord. We are given to him. We are holy like he is holy. The Bible says there's nobody more holy than the Lord. He defines holiness. He's the most holy. If he's the most holy and we follow him, we're holy like he is holy. We just kind of trail along. God, where are you leading us? There's, it's interesting. If you would look in the scriptures and I would look in the scriptures, we could divide up the word sanctification in two camps. One set of scriptures in the Bible talks about sanctifies. is really talking about when we commit ourselves to the Lord. We are sanctified individually. We are called out in a place we can have relationship with Him. Another set of sanctification scriptures says we are in a process, a lifelong journey of pursuing God to be holy, to be set apart for Him. The moment of, the journey of. This was certainly a moment and a journey for the Israelites. They had a moment that they were set out, and then they had that long journey to get to where they needed to be. We have a long journey in our lives. Amen? Let's read a a verse about this. This this is just years later. 
Peter's talking about this. As obedient children, do not be conformed by the passions of your former ignorance. By the passions of your former ignorance. The way it used to be in Egypt. Don't be conformed by that stuff. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. For it is, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. God's not going to have non-holy people following him. Wouldn't that be ridiculous? Our God won't do that. That's the first cup. The second cup, I will deliver you. You ever felt like you needed to be delivered from something? When I was in school, I would swear I needed to be delivered from one of two things. Girl troubles or tests. I knew that Leah was for me because I never had troubles. Only good. Nothing to be delivered from. When I got older, and I think some of you might relate to this, I would have bad days at work I wanted to be delivered from. Or bad months, or bad years, or bad jobs. Or bad houses you couldn't wait to get out of. Or bad car problems, or those unexpected financial situations. Or maybe something much more dramatic than those. Those are just uh, things that come and go. Some of you have been in horrible things that you've needed to be delivered from. We need to be delivered. God reminds us that he does deliver. You know, the Israelites were captives for 400 years. 400 years. And then some change. They didn't know their children. They didn't remember a time that they weren't in trouble. And they didn't have much of an existence while they were there for 400 years. It's not like they had a whole economic system where you could uh, attain a, a fine living. If you wanted to, you were just basically making mud. And bricks out of that mud. This is not what I would call a a high-quality life. They needed to be delivered, and they were delivered. They were. The uh, uh, (laughs) I'm just thinking about the Israelites. Mordecai, what are you doing today? I'm making mud. What are you doing? I'm making mud. What are you doing tomorrow? Got some plans to make some mud. Me too. I'm going to make mud tomorrow. I mean, what do they talk about all day? So what are you going to do when you, for a career, little Billy, when you get out of school? Well, I'm going to, I plan on looking into the mud industry. You know, everything. What do you, for 400 years, what do you do? You know, sometimes the deliverance we experience in our life, we are not going to experience in our physical life. The patriarchs in, in, in Hebrews 11, the great patriarchs in the Bible and, the, and some of the martyrs, they knew they were going to be delivered. They knew it, but they didn't. The scriptures say they, they died not seeing the full deliverance. That would be shown in the, in the next life, in, in heaven. There's some things that we're going to go through here that are tough things, that we'll see full and deliberate decisions in the next life. If we don't have God, we don't get through those. We're stuck with the baggage we have here. And then some. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had a terrible time. They were three Hebrew guys that were told, Nebuchadnezzar said, I'm building a statue. Everybody bows down to the statue. If you don't, I'll throw you in a fiery furnace. They didn't want to do it. They said they weren't going to bow down. And the king Nebuchadnezzar said, you will do it or you'll die. And they said, God will deliver us. That takes a lot of courage. You're, 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 you're facing your death. God will deliver us, they said. And if he doesn't, it's okay. We're still not going to bow down. That is certainty. That is tremendous faith. He will deliver us. You know, I don't think it's a bad idea to pause here and just think for a minute 
that these challenges that we go through in life, these difficulties, are the same things that grow our faith, our certainty. We remember to grow our certainty, and we are delivered from trials which grow our certainty. The third cup. Good time to take a drink when you talk about the third cup, huh? The third cup, I will redeem you. Now, we know in the scriptures that Jesus himself actually talked about this. He actually partook of the third cup. It's captured in the scriptures. So, let's read what, happened, what he said when he did this. This was during Passover. A lot of us remember this is the Last Supper, but it actually was a Passover meal. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, the third cup, remember there were two cups before the meal, two cups after the meal. This is the first cup after the meal. Likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This cup that is poured out is the new covenant in my blood. What's he referring to? 600 years before he ever walked the earth, there was a prophecy from Jeremiah that the covenant, the old covenant, was going to be updated with the new covenant. Let's read about that. Behold, the days are coming. This is Jeremiah saying this, declares the Lord, or Jeremiah's writing what the Lord's saying. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, not like that covenant. I'm making a new covenant. A new one. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. That's kind of sad for God. He makes a covenant, and then the people broke it. But here he's making a whole new one. And it's Jesus' blood. Remember, we, we partake to remember his blood, which ratified the covenant. It made it real. We need that blood. So what do we remember here with this third cup? We remember that there's a new covenant that Jesus established. It followed the pattern set way back then in the time of the Passover. The blood back then was the blood over the doorposts. The blood of the new covenant is the blood of Jesus. The fourth, the fourth cup. I will take you to be my people. This is very positive. I like how Peter says this. 1 Peter 2.9 But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Now this is for people who have made a commitment to be in relationship with the Lord. Peter's writing this to Jews and Gentiles, all living in the New Covenant already. This isn't for all mankind. This is for people who have accepted him and said, Lord, I want you to be Lord of my life. I want to follow you. And Peter writes him and said, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are a holy nation. You know, before it was the nation of Israelites. They were one people's group. And wherever, with, wherever they were, that was the holy nation. But then later on, now, under the new covenant, we can be all over the world but still be one nation of believers. A people for his own possession, for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He called them out. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once, you know, before we give our lives to the Lord, we're just kind of milling around. We're just, there's just people just lying around. They're not really a, a group. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Believers are all over the world. And this fourth cup reminds us 
that we are one group, that we have one connection. We can be a believer in Florida. We can be a believer in Alaska. We can be a believer in Hawaii. That's a terrible place to be a believer. Who wants to go there? We can be a, be a believer in Asia. We can be a believer in anywhere in the world. But we're one people unto God. We have that in common. The songs that we sang earlier, they're written by different people all over the world. There are people. Because the fourth cup reminds us that God calls unto him his own people, one people, one nation, and he is our God, and we are his people. Passover, or this time, this time that we talked about, celebrates the essence of our own salvation. And I did remember this statement. I want to read it. We are consecrated by God. This is what it reminds, you, it reminds us of, that we are consecrated to God who delivers us, establishes us in the new covenant made so by Jesus' blood, and as a result, we have become God's people. That's what this time does. Now, if you don't know the Lord, if you've never made the relationship with Him, if you've never said, I want to be one of those people, Lord. I want to be one of those. I want those blessings that we read about earlier, that we remembered earlier. I want those from you. I want to have that relationship from you where you are first in my life. I know to my wife that I'm number two. I'm okay with that. That's a very okay thing for me. God is number one to her. I'm number two. If she would ever say, Jim, you're number one, I would go, hmm. It's okay that I'm number two. We need to have God number one. And if you think, God's got to be number one. I'm just milling around doing my own thing. I haven't figured out a broader purpose. I haven't figured out what this God thing is. I'd love to talk to you about it. I really would. It's a bold statement to come to me after service and say, I'd like to know more. But it was a bold statement when Jesus died on the cross in his underwear. He did. If you're going to die on the cross, at least be clothed. He didn't even get that advantage. He was died in his underwear. If you want to know more, more about the Lord, and you want to learn what it is to be one of his people, one of the nation, and get those blessings, be bold. Keep your clothes on. Come talk to me afterward. <laughs> Best thing I ever did in my life was give my life to the Lord. Because now I have an afterlife with him. Now I know if there's things that I'm going through here that are tough, I'll have no problems when I'm gone. No problems. If you don't know, if you don't know, I would like to talk to you. If you do know, it is great being in a nation with you. It is great being a people with you because we are a people together. And we're good looking. There's other ugly people out there. We're not ugly people. I'm kidding. But what I, what I, well, no, I'm not really. Don't <laughs> you understand what I mean? I, it's not in the scriptures that you have to have our animal magnetism to be in the nation. But I do very much, very much, thank God for this family, this congregation that we're part of his nation. We're real people, very much serving a very real God who keeps his testimony always 
Amen? If you would, please stand up, and we're going to pray. Lord God, we remember. We remember so much, Lord. We remember the Passover and these four cups. We remember that your testimony is always true. We remember that troubles create certainty, create greater faith. We thank you for that. We thank you and remember that you move in our lives and when we can't see it. We remember that you bless us and we can't see it, that you're the God of mercy and you're the God of hope. You're the God of good things. We remember that while sometimes things seem to go wrong, that you always work things for good to those who believe. We remember that. Even when we're going through bad times, we know that somehow, in some way, your word says you'll work them for good. We remember and we thank you for it. We remember, Lord, that we're a nation, a family, a people unto you, that we're set apart by you for you. We remember your blessings. We remember your promises. We thank you for all of them. Lord God, that we would be a congregation to always move forward in them and always please you with all that we say and all that we do. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this Holdman family, Lord God, this new Holdman family, and specifically Samuel. What a blessing he is to his family and to us as a, as a congregation, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you and give you peace. Amen.